Your name matters. Even if you don't particularly like the name your parents gave you, names matter. Because they are you, so to speak. There's a company called DefendMyName.com. They cite the fact that 90% of internet searches never go past the first page. They claim that one negative link under your company name will destroy your profits. So, if you employ their services, they'll kind of go around and clean up those negative postings. Uh, They're not too worried about whether those negative postings are true or not. If you pay them, they'll clean it up. They'll make you look squeaky clean. They are there to protect your name. Reputations matter. Our names matter. We've got that special attachment to our names. Names are shorthand for our whole identity. Uh, We've all been to that party, uh, a crowded room, you're deep in conversation, and yet someone just across the room on the other side just happens to mention in passing your name and suddenly, you know, kind of your ears prick up and your, your attention's divided. You're kind of over there because our names are tied to who we actually are. They're not just a collection of random letters. And when people hear our name, it brings to mind the, the whole of who you are, what you are to them, what, what they think of you. Names are powerful, they they create powerful associations. Um, Names are emotive uh, and they create instant responses. So if if some of you here are in the early stages of romance, you only need to hear the name of your beloved and and your your heart and your spirits lift. Uh, Perhaps some of you have been married for years and you feel exactly the same way. (laughs) I do. I want you to take this quick quiz. How do you feel when you hear the name Adolf? My guess is it's not warming your heart. What about darling? How do you feel when you hear the name mum? Now, for some of you, that's going to be warm thoughts. Uh, For some, it's going to be the pain of loss. Uh, For some, it'll be a broken relationship. So when we hear a name, we instantly reflect and our whole being gets involved. How do you feel when you hear the name God or the Lord Almighty? Now I'm sure there are emotions that that rise in you as you reflect on that name Uh, and there are all sorts of appropriate and different responses and emotions that should happen. In Malachi's time, we read from Malachi, 500 years before Jesus turned up. In Malachi's time, Israel, God's people, had forgotten a certain resonance that God's name, the Lord's name, should carry. And perhaps we have too. So this morning, I hope we grasp two things out of God's word. One is, I hope we feel the greatness of God's name. And secondly, I hope we glimpse how seriously God takes his reputation and how seriously he takes those who represent his name. See, Israel had forgotten the greatness of God's name and so they had forgotten how they should respond to him, how they should feel towards him and act towards him. 1 verse 6. A son honours his father and a servant honours his master. If I'm a father, where is the honour due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, oh, how have we shown contempt for your name? So Israel's priests in particular have forgotten just how great God's name is. 
Um, last time, if you were here with us last week, we started Malachi. Uh, we saw that God had declared his love for a people he chose. And he showed evidence of that in that their neighbour, their, their brother nation, Edom, um, actually got what they deserved. They were destroyed. They were brought down. Uh, but Israel didn't get what they deserved. They kept being raised back up. They weren't wiped out. God loved them with a blazing passion. And he wanted them to see how great was his love. He wanted them to see how great his power was. And particularly, the end of uh, verse 5, 1 verse 5, he wanted them to see and to say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. The greatness of God's name has to be rammed into the people in Malachi's time because it just hasn't sunk in. So over and over again, there's a little refrain, there's a title for God. It doesn't just say God, it says the Lord Almighty. So in verse 6, the Lord Almighty. Uh, Skip down again, just scan with your eye. Verse 8, the Lord Almighty. Verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. It goes on and on and on. The Lord Almighty is the phrase he uses. Uh, You may notice as well, if you've got a Bible in front of you, Lord is in little capitals. Um, That's not accidental. Uh, What that is, is our attempt in English to make sense of a Hebrew word that we don't pronounce very well, Um, Y-H-W-H. You can say Yahweh or something along those lines. The the idea is that it's it's the Hebrew word for God's special, his personal name. See, the world knew of God, but he invited his chosen people to speak to him more directly, to address him as Yahweh, as Lord. Uh, it's, It's like my kids get to call me Dad. You know, you don't. Uh, but my children do. Uh, it's a special kind of way that they can address. It's personal. But along with Yahweh, personal is the term almighty. Uh, it's the title of a military leader, a great general, the one with power to send uh, men to their deaths, to bring empires to their knees. Yahweh is a warrior. Over and over again, Yahweh almighty, to get this one message through, your God is great. The one who loves you and is committed to you, Israel, is the one who's actually the king over everyone, over every place. Have a look at the end of 1 verse 14. God says, I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Yahweh is a king and he controls every instant of every person's life. He is the king who who sends and holds back the rain. He is the king who sends disaster as well as blessing. Uh, In verse 11, and if you're listening in the kids' talk, um, the kingdom is universal. From the rising of the sun to where it sets, God's name is great. Uh, It used to be claimed, uh, some of us here are are British, used to be claimed that uh, the sun never went down on the British Empire, that it spread across the breadth of the globe. No matter where you went, somewhere the Union Jack was being waved by someone. It's a claim that is better made about God's rule, more accurately. Christianity is not a Western religion. For starters, it began in the Middle East and there are actually more Christians in Africa than any other continent. But more than that, God is not and has never been limited to be the king of just one area like the West or a continent like Africa. God is the great king over every person over every place. And he's king over them whether they acknowledge it or not. Uh, Christian people can get a bit sheepish, I think. Uh, Speaking of God's ways, um, his morality to to unbelievers, 
And it's right that we don't want to force people to be Christian. You can't make people good. You can never get to heaven by doing that. But we mustn't, as we do that, downplay God has a claim on everyone's obedience. God doesn't say to Israel, let me remind you, Israel, I'm great here in your country. He says, no, no, I'm great amongst the nations in the world, even above those who don't recognise my name. And that name has to produce a response, a certain type of one. Uh, In verse 6, it's honour and respect. In verse 14, it's fear. Uh, When we move into chapter 2, verse 2, it's honour again. And in 2 verse 5, it's reverence and awe. Now this is not everything to say about how we should emotionally feel when we hear the Lord's name, but it is one vital aspect. And I think it's one our culture probably struggles with more than others. We're a casual culture. Um, As parents, Anna and I gave up a few years ago trying to get our children to address adults as Mr and Mrs. uh, Because they kept saying to us, no, no, call us by our first name. Um, so it's just too hard. Uh, you know, our society has blurred that gap between adults and kids. Um, when it comes to government and authorities, we mock them. Uh, you know, journalists will refer, I've read articles where Kevin Rudd's got the nickname Pixie. Uh, you know, it's hardly kind of awe and honour and fear of our leadership. And so the parallels that in 1, six and, and verse 8 are drawn to honour for fathers, honour for masters and governors, they just... They don't carry very well, even if intellectually we can understand, okay, I know what he's trying to say, I just don't feel it. You know, we, we admire informality at church. We, we emphasise how close we can be to God. Uh, last couple of days, we've been running uh, the Explorers Club, an afternoon club for kids. We had a great time. Uh, we told the gospel to kids and we told it in terms of friendship with the king rather than fear and honour and awe. Uh, you know, there is still vestiges in our culture of honour and awe uh, for greatness. There's still respect for CEOs. You know, when visiting Australia, Prince Philip uh, inspected one of our abattoirs. Uh, being Prince Philip, he refused to wear the hygienically safe clothing uh, required at any meatworks and they couldn't do anything about it. So he spent 15 minutes wandering around the facilities, the abattoir, and a whole day's meat had to be destroyed or contaminated. Uh, you know, he may only be a consort to a constitutional monarch Uh, But there's still a sense of awe and honour that means we can't tell him what to do. He gets away with what he wants to do. Like Israel, God's name should in some sense fill us with awe. There actually is a real gap between God and us. He is the king and we're just servants. He is the almighty general and we're just the foot soldiers. When Isaiah came into God's presence, he cried this. He cried, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh Almighty. You know, when, when Peter witnessed something of Jesus' divine power, he fell to his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. We need to watch out that we're not so familiar with God that Isaiah or Peter's sense of awe would be out of place in our church, in our fellowship. Uh, Yep, in Christ we do come close to Yahweh Almighty as loved children. Our access has changed, but our God has not. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. 
And Israel should have known that by God's representatives. It should have flowed from good representation. So as important as Yahweh's name is, he remarkably allows others to represent it and even misrepresent it. And so God's particular address is to the priests. 2 verse 1, And now this admonition is for you, O priests. So God had set up priests to make him known. So in 2 verse 7, The lips of priests ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Priests were God's representatives. Um, they weren't free to just tell people whatever they wanted about God. They were just to pass on what God had told them. It was their job to make sure that when people heard the name Yahweh Almighty, they had the right emotional response. The, the image in their mind would be accurate. I want to say this is a serious word for anyone who carries the name of a priest today. And at this point it might be tempting for me to say, you know, pray for your leaders down at church. Uh, pray for me as I teach you the Bible. Pray for wardens. Pray for connect group leaders uh, that they would honour God. And I do want you to do that. Do pray for all those people, please. Uh, but that isn't God's word for us today. It's not church leaders who replace the priests. In 1 Peter 2.9, we read this word to Christian people. You, you Christian people, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, Christian people, the church, we carry God's name. We represent God to those who don't know him. It may surprise you that that's the case, but I don't think it surprises the average Australian. The average Australian doesn't pick up their Bible and read it. Okay? They just don't do that. Probably they never have. How do they learn about God? From the Christians that they know. I gave a Bible to a non-Christian friend recently at his request. I didn't force on him. He wanted it. Um, it's been about five, six weeks. I asked him once since then. Still hasn't managed to open it up. Um, I'm sure he will at some stage. So at the moment he's still judging God on me and the other Christians that he knows. In Malachi's time, God has a strong word for the priests who misrepresented him. Uh, And they've proved to be misrepresentatives in three obvious ways. Um, Contempt, in complaint and in confusion. So first of all, their actions show that they have contempt for the Lord. 1 verse 6, have a look down there. Son honours his father, he goes on, they ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Verse 7, you place defiled food on my altar. You ask, oh, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's place is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, isn't that wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, isn't that wrong? You try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says Yahweh Almighty. Yeah, leftovers are fine for the family at the end of the week. Uh, but if we have guests coming over, um, we don't serve it up to them and dress it up as though you know, it was something special. And that's exactly what the priests are trying to do with God. Uh, they were going to throw it in the bin anyway. It's, you know, blind, crippled, diseased animals. Uh, but hey, we can kill two birds with one stone. God won't notice, will he? Let's sneak it past him. As a nation, God is their father. He he deserves the respect that a good father deserves. Uh, God is the great king, but they're offering him the rubbish they were going to put in the bin anyway. 
And secondly, they complain. Uh, 1 verse 12, you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it's defiled and of its food, it's contemptible. And you say, oh, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, diseased animals and you offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. So what a burden, they say. What a hassle it is to have to give anything to God. Doesn't he just get in our way, they're saying. Here are the priests. They're back in the land that God had given them. They're working in the job that God had instituted for them. And their response is to complain when God actually wants some kind of response back. What a burden, what a pain, what a hassle. Uh, It's the kind of cry that we see in our country all the time. We enjoy God's generous gifts, but people are furious when you suggest to them that they might actually want to respond to God. They're annoyed that you suggest that you know, God might want to interrupt their selfish enjoyment and want a relationship with them. And because of this, because of this contempt and complaint, the priests are then confusing others. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 8, you have, turned away from, uh, you have turned from the way and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. See, they were supposed to faithfully pass on to others what God was like. But but by their actions more than their words, they've sent the wrong message about God. They've confused God's people. And so what's happened? God's people have turned away. They've stumbled away from the the covenant of life and peace that he'd just spoken about. In other words, um, people are so confused, they've moved away from relationship with God, the only way they could have real life and real peace. What these priests are actually doing is ripping to shreds the third commandment. Uh, just to rejog your memory, it's the one about blasphemy. Uh, you shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. I want to say blasphemy is not just you know, when you use Jesus' name as a swear word. Uh, yeah, it, it's that, but it's so much more. Um, the, the heart of blasphemy, real blasphemy, is when you render God's name vain, that is useless or meaningless, when you, when you empty it of its value, Blasphemy is is so misrepresenting God that people think or feel the wrong thing when they hear the name the Lord. Remember? Names is tied to who we are. God's name is his character, it is his glory and and by the priest's actions they have broken that command. It's real blasphemy. I want to say it's far more offensive than than just saying the word Jesus offhandedly as a swear word. From the way that they have treated God, no one would guess in their wildest dreams that God was anything but a poorly treated servant. And as modern day priests, our actions risk blaspheming God far more than our words do. If people know that you are, if you're a Christian here today and people around you know that you're a Christian, they are watching how you act and what you say and what you do. And that is going to be how they know what God is like. That will form their picture of God. How important he is. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi made this observation. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I want to say not many people are like Gandhi and can separate the difference between Christ and the people who represent him. He's unusual in lots of ways. Uh, A very special man. 
We're going to confuse the people around us about God if we show contempt for his name. I've been challenged recently just in stuff I've been reading about greed. It's going to be my generosity. That will be a sign of whether I think that God is really great or whether I think money and savings and investment is more worthy of my trust. A Christian friend, another church, works really hard to serve other people but sadly everything is done with a complaint about how hard it is. And it just sends a mixed message about God to those around. Uh, As your neighbours look over the fence, metaphorically, I know most of us are in units, as they look over the the fence and they look into kind of your life, how would they describe God based on your actions? Do the little things in your life make it obvious that God's name is great, that he is a great king? Don't mishear me. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect. Um, that's just unrealistic. Authentic Christianity is not about appearing good and hiding your faults. Um, real Christianity is about God's greatness, not your greatness. Uh, authentic Christianity is being honest, showing how you keep failing and you turn back to the God who is great and loving. Don't need to be perfect, but we do need to be excited about the opportunities of representing God. When we, when we honour God with all our hearts, people will see and notice and they will see the greatness of God. Uh, a friend once asked if he was welcome at our church, um, even though he hadn't grown up and been part of it, because uh, he'd had contact with a few different groups of people from uh, the church I was at and he saw that the people there were loving and kind and he thought, that's actually quite attractive. I think I'd like to go there. And so he asked to come along. Now, ch- church members, their, their priestly representation made God attractive. And that's the positive reason to represent God well. Uh, Of course, in Malachi there's a sterner warning from the Lord. He's not going to put up with his name being misrepresented. So in in 1, 7 and 8, uh, he's not pleased. You know, he says, if the local politician won't bear getting leftovers and garbage, do you think I would? I'm not pleased when you misrepresent me, he says. In verse 10, God says, I won't accept it. Uh, Oh, that... One of you would shut the temple doors so that you wouldn't light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased and will not accept the offering from your hands. God would rather nothing than receiving the second best. I chatted to a friend who left Christianity. She reasoned that if she wasn't going to actually trust and obey God in everything, she may as well not be a Christian at all. Um, and I'm really sad about the fact that she chose to do that and leave uh, her relationship with God behind. I think she was right to not keep pretending, uh, to, to keep lighting useless fires like those priests were lighting up. God won't accept that kind of misrepresentation. He wish, he'd rather the door shut. Don't try. Uh, scarier still, though, is God's punishment of these misrepresentatives. 2 verse 2. If you don't listen... If you don't set your heart to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honour me. Because of you I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifice and they'll be carried off with it. Here is why God is a fearful king. He won't be dishonoured in people's hearts. They will be cursed by God and when the time comes there's no hope for them. But even when he is at his most furious, God is bothering to warn them, isn't he? He's still telling them. Why? Because he wants them to change. He wants to give them another chance to listen and turn back 
and to honour him with all their hearts. Um, in 2.9 he talks about how he's humiliated the priests in the eyes of the people just in the way that they've humiliated them. But there's still a chance that they could turn back. The Lord Almighty is a great king. He has a blazing passion for his name's honour and he's not going to allow it to be dragged through the mud. And he's got a blazing passion for the people that he loved and he doesn't want them stumbling away from life and peace. He wants them to come back. He won't let his name be misrepresented. That's why he sent the perfect representative, the Lord Jesus. Uh, it was like God went in and employed defendyourname.com but a little more effectively. Uh, time and time again, you, me, we're going to repre- misrepresent God to those around us. But Jesus does it perfectly. You know, we read in Colossians, Liz read for us in Colossians, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In the end, if you want people to understand the Lord Almighty, you point them to the one who shares his name. Point them to Jesus. If you can't live up to what it means to carry his name, that's right, you yourself go to Jesus. For Jesus is that great king. He is the one to be feared among all the nations. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to praise your holy name. We ask that you would give us a sense of your greatness, that we might honour you and fear you and hold you in awe. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness we have in Christ and the opportunity then to come as your people and represent your name. And we ask that you would help us to represent it well. That as people look at us, they might see your greatness, not ours. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Three things really stood out powerfully 